Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. It's another encore show for you here at The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. So happy to be with you again. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adh.com. The Advertising Show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Back in 2010, we had the pleasure of chatting with Sally Hogshead. Sally has been doing a lot of great things back in 2010 and since then in the uh, marketing and advertising industry. And this was a this was a fun show. She's a great person. Enjoy. I want to talk uh, for a moment, Brad, if we could, about uh, Sally and uh, tell our friends who don't know Sally all about her. Brand new book, Fascinate, Your Seven Triggers of Persuasion and Captivation. Uh, book outlines Sally's three years of research on universal triggers, power, lust, mystique, prestige, alarm, vice, and trust. Seth Godin even said something. This is a transformative work, a beautifully written book that will forever change the way you see the world. I loved it. Let me be really clear. You need to buy the book. Devour it. Absorb it. And then buy copies for your colleagues. A lot of copies. That sounds like a great endorsement to me. But Sally has done uh, a, lo- a lot of different things in the uh, advertising world and, and is uh, very well known for that as well. She uh, grew up, uh, well, basically growing up with the name uh, Hogshead would give uh, anyone an unconventional point of view, and we would suggest that that's quite possibly true. Today's show, she's been on that, uh, appeared on CBS's early show, Reality TV, Making It Big, uh, featuring Sally as the advertising icon who has changed the face of North American advertising. In her second year of advertising, she won more awards than any other copywriter in the United States, was called the most successful junior copywriter of all time. And uh, uh, the Martin Agency, Fallon McGilliot, by the age 27. Uh, let's see, we've got Crispin Porter. Uh, mentioned names like Mini Cooper, Nike, and all that kind of stuff. And you attach that to Sally as well. So I guess uh, we have nothing more to say about Sally. So that's, that's good. Why don't we take a break here? The advertising show is being powered by Shipple. Shipple.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L. And a program called Tendency, which is an incredible marketing platform. Check it out at Shipple.com. Back in just a minute. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Nobody can call George Whipple an old fuddy-duddy. This new sign is right up with the times. Maybe this will stop the ladies from squeezing charm and bathroom tissue. Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth here at The Advertising Show. And a very special friend of the show. Sally's been with us before. The other book, we uh, talked about that. Sally's been here in the Houston market where we record the show. Had a chance to meet her personally as well at the uh, Houston Ad Federation as well. Now she's got a new book, and it is called Fascinate, Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. Sally, it is always a pleasure to hook up with you here at the Advertising Show. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today with you guys. Well, uh, we're, we're happy to have you. Uh, Sally, you were on the show, as Ray mentioned, a few years ago to discuss your previous book, Radical Careering. Uh, curious, uh, other than writing a new book, what's been going on with you lately? I moved from Los Angeles to Florida for a big quality of life decision. I decided that I wanted to be closer to my parents, and I wanted to be able to live with my kids in an environment that could be more stable for them, that they could 
they, they could grow up with a more solid community. So since we've last spoken, I, I moved to Florida and um, put down some good roots there. I've been working a lot with brands and, and speaking, and uh, like the rest of us, trying to keep up with all the changes going on in advertising these days. You know, quality of life issues, I think, are taking a more uh, forward role in people's lives, and that's kind of a reflection of the crazy world we live in. You note in your re- in your book that you've researched uh, specifically for this book, which I found interesting. You know, most books uh, don't have custom research per se. Why did you take that approach? That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. The reason why I wanted to do this study of a thousand Americans around the country, which was uh, conducted conducted with a, a very prestigious research company named Kelton Research. We did that because the topic of fascination is often seen as being um, imprecise or um, squishy or that it would be my personal observation. And I didn't want the book to come down to my opinion. I wanted it to be um, quantitative on some level. So uh, Kelton Research did this, um, did this massive study about attitudes around fascination and how much are people willing to pay for it, how much does it increase the value of a brand, if it's fascinating, what are the triggers people respond to. And then we also did a secondary qualitative study with hundreds of people in person and on the phone that was conducted by deputy research to learn what, what are the situations in which people want to be fascinating and when they're being fascinating, what does that feel like and, and what are they doing. And it's out of that research that we were able to ground a lot of the, um, the, the main, main factors in the book uh, so that it wasn't coming down to just simply describing it. You know, your book is very well written, no surprise there, but it, it seems as if, um, I don't know how to say this, uh, with, short of sounding like Oprah here, it seems like you had a bit of an aha moment in 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 wanting to pursue this concept of uh, fascination. And I'm wondering, did the, did the idea come first and then you reach out to research to prove some of your concepts or dispel some of your ideas, or was the research first and then the content? I did a lot of research myself in, um, in starting to develop the idea because I knew I wanted to do a book that was around the concept of why are we fascinated by some things and not others. I just didn't know that the word fascination was where it would end up. Hmm. And the aha for me is that when I was looking throughout history and across cultures at why there are certain people and trends that, that earn attention and there are others that die out, that I found this word fascination in ancient Latin one of the oldest words in written language and the the word for fascination in latin is fascinare and fascinare is a form of witchcraft and what as i began (laughs) to research this notion of of fascinare i learned that across every written language in the ancient world since the beginning of civilization every culture has a word for fascination which is an irresistible type of influence from one person to another and uh, as I began to look uh, through history, all the way through Constantinople and, um, and the ancient Romans and the Greeks and the, the sheep herders and uh, the scholars through the Renaissance, all the way up to Sigmund Freud, this notion of fascination shows up again and again and again in the literature. And I realized that I didn't have to invent any of this, that mm. it was all there in history, this idea of irresistible influence using fascination uh, was all spelled out right there for me, and 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 it was only a matter of um, figuring out how to start to apply it in a modern context that that I needed to do as an author. 
Well, let's get into some of the uh, outstanding findings your research uh, dispel or, or shares in your book. You say women will spend more to fascinate than they spend on – I'm sorry, they will spend more to be fascinating, I should say, than they will spend – on food and clothes, which I found a bit astonishing. Talk a little bit about this idea, Sally. Isn't that incredible? Yes. Women will spend more to be fascinating than they spend on food and clothes combined. The re- why do women want to be so fascinating? Um, and when we, when we probed further on this, we learned fascinating people carry more influence. That fascinating people aren't just, it's not just about being attention-getting, it's about being persuasive and having deeper connections and being able to communicate in a way that's heard and remembered and acted upon. And so the fascinating person isn't just the one that gets the date. It's the person who gets the promotion. It's the person who has more influential messages with their children. It's, um, it's the person who stands in front of the, of the boardroom and is able to sell through a business proposal. Hmm. Women want to be fascinating um, in, in a variety of different ways in all aspects of their life. Uh, men want to be fascinating um, about... $50 a month less. They're willing to pay about $50 a month less than, than women are, but 5% of them will pay $1,000 a month to be the most fascinating person in the room. So this is something that's really important to people. They just don't know exactly how to do it. You know, so you say in your book, you don't control fascination. Fascination controls you. My immediate reaction was, should we fear anything that has the potential of controlling us? Absolutely. Think of drug addiction, or in some cases, think of um, anytime you take fascination to an extreme, it starts to get into obsession or even compulsion, like obsessive-compulsive disorder. Um, when, you're, when you're in the grips of fascination, it's, it's, remember I used before, I used the word irresistible. Being in the grips of fascination is something that's intoxicating, that you cannot resist it. So if you're in a theater and somebody yells, fire, you, you can't decide whether or not you're going to pay attention to trying to get out of the theater. But we've also experienced this ourselves every day. When you, when you crave um, a cupcake from Magnolia Bakery in New York, or you see a car on the street that you start to lust for, or you feel alarmed by a deadline that your boss gives you at work, you're not choosing to pay attention to those things the way you would choose to pay attention to a lesson plan or a PowerPoint. You're in the grip of this of this force of attraction. You know, I want to mention that when Ray and I were at a bar the other night, he looked into my eyes, he said, you fascinate me, and we ordered one final round. Yeah, right. I was going to turn that around. You've got to move, take your hand off my leg, please. On the advertising shows, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, we're just kidding. Fascinate your seven triggers of persuasion and captivation. More with Sally Hogshead here in just a minute on the advertising show. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. See the USA in your Chevrolet. America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. To say that this is a fascinating interview would be an understatement here. Fascinate your seven triggers of persuasion and captivation. And our very special guest is Sally Hogshead. And for just a moment, a brief moment, I want to get off the book. Because we'll promote the heck out of it, as you well know. But uh, Sally, a couple of weeks ago, had the opportunity to be at the Tiger Woods uh, press conference uh, as his coming out party, so to speak. I guess that's what it is. (laughs) And and, uh, uh, Sally, tell us about that. Tell us uh, your reflection, the room's reflection. What what happened there? To me, the most incredible thing was the way in which 
he made a certain type of eye contact with his wife and his and his mother, his family, um, that he he felt as though he dropped his guard in a way that he never has before. And the people in the media room where I was sitting uh, were slack-jawed, amazed at how human he came across for the very first time ever, that instead of being impervious, that suddenly it was this flesh-and-blood person standing in front of us. And, uh, and, and people... The, most of the media thought it was an absolutely uh, brilliant statement and that it would do a lot to change public perception. I'm a little skeptical myself, hmm. but, um, but it was a very well-crafted piece of writing. As, as anything a tiger does, it's always well-crafted, except for that kind of screw-up in the middle there. Yeah, okay. I, I think that's the problem. A lot of people, because he was so unbecoming and, and not unengaging with the media yeah. initially, people are a bit suspect. Moving on, uh, back to your book, Sally, uh, and good to have a report, our reporter on the spot at the press conference a few weeks ago. You say in your book, while bells and whistles and gimmicks might work, maybe, they rarely lead to lasting emotional Connections. I'm, I'm curious. We just finished seeing all of these expensive Super Bowl spots. So, were there any emotional connections being communicated this year, or were they more about gimmicks? The Super Bowl is about gimmicks. It's really not so much about emotional connections because you're dealing with the single most expensive marketing real estate in the world, and it needs to be able to break through to a bunch of drunk people who are <laughs> chomping on chips and drinking beer. Yeah. Um, and I think, unfortunately, most spots this year failed miserably. They were neither emotionally connected nor bells and whistles. They were just really boring marketing messages created by uh, frightened vice presidents of marketing. Mm -hmm. would, you, would you say the Anheuser-Busch uh, commercials when they try to do the dog and the, and the horses, that they come a the little reach. closer to that emotional connection? They come closer to emotion, but they, they, uh, what really makes those work is the fact that it, it um, brings up years and years of connotations for us. Mm -hmm. In the book, I talk about the trust trigger, which is the trigger that's about consistency and reliability and having a, um, a sense of stability of being able to predict exactly what's going to happen. And if you remember, the, the, originally the Budweiser Clydesdales were not going to be on the Super Bowl, and some people say it was a publicity stunt because there was such a public outcry. How can you have a Super Bowl without the Clydesdales? They've been on the Super Bowl since, I don't know, I think it was like 91. And so they did end up putting a Clydesdale spot on there, and that's what um, makes that genre of commercial work. It's like um, it's a uh, it reaffirms this whole rosy glow of good feelings that we have about Budweiser. Yeah. So about probably the best one was the spontaneity with the Letterman and Leno on there, huh? Oh yeah, that was that, I mean, what was that? That was incredible. <laughs> that was, what, what, a, what a genius maneuver that nobody saw that coming. I was doing commenting that night. What, for the New York Post, and even the New York Post reporter who had sent me a complete catalog of commercials in advance the day before FedEx of uh, the spots that were going to be airing, he had no idea that was going to be on there. And you know, the relationship got healed uh, during all of that between Jay and David, so what a wonderful thing. We just have a minute left in this segment. I want to get your take on your so-called F-scores, a concept that you developed and you mentioned in your book, available, by the way, at sallyhogshead.com. Uh, tell us a little bit about F-score, what's it all about? Uh, fascination applies to brands and companies' ideas, but, but perhaps most interestingly is the way it applies to ourselves and, and the way in which we elicit reactions from other people, the way that we try to persuade other people. So I developed this F-score test with my team 
uh, to, to help people understand which triggers they're using when they're trying to be their most influential and which ones they're not using but maybe they should be using. So it's a 28-question test, and at the end of it, it reveals which trigger you're using um, primarily, what, what the companion backup secondary trigger is to that, and, uh, and also what your dormant trigger is and how your scores compare to other people's. On the advertising shows, Ray Schillen's Brad Forsyth. Did, did not include a urine test, I understand. No, no, that wasn't good, part good, of it. Very good. No. It's, it's Sally Hawks. Fascinate your seven triggers of persuasion and captivation. Well, of course there's more. Why not? We'll do some more in just a minute here. Stay right here. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. It's a real thing in the back of your mind. What you're hoping to find. You know, we absolutely love having Sally Hogshead on the show. We should get her as a regular, I think. Sally uh, has been with uh, the show before, her first book, and now we've got uh, Fascinate Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. Out of uh, Central Florida this uh, weekend here, it's uh, Sally Hogshead. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, great setup, Ray, for our next question. In your book, Sally, you lay out seven activators that trigger fascination. We're not going to talk about all of them because, after all, if we did, you wouldn't need to buy the book. But you you lay them out. Lust, mystique, alarm, prestige, power, vice, and trust. Let's talk a little bit about lust. Tell us why we're so fascinated by the anticipation of, I guess, what? Pleasure? It's the anticipation of an experience, a positive, pleasurable experience. If, you, uh, if you've ever looked at something in a store window and you felt attracted to it in a way of, ooh, I want that, or if you think of your favorite dish in a restaurant, you think, oh, I'm craving that. It's a, it's a certain type of magnetism that draws you towards something because you're craving the experience of it. And sometimes lust can be focused on um, some, something that's overtly sensual like lighting or a texture or a taste or even music but but lust also comes into play when a product uses great design if you think of the the ipod the ipod uses a certain style of aesthetics and design and navigation that makes you want to touch the device it makes you want to turn it on and off and and watch it and it it totally shattered what the what the category had because nobody had ever infused lust into an mp3 player before and so lust is a trigger that companies can use when they have a a product that feels cold and unapproachable and by infusing it with some sort of sensory input they can make it become craveable you know, although I was intrigued, and Ray and I were talking about this before we, uh, before you had came on the show today, we're both extremely impressed with your book and, and intrigued with all of your seven activators. One in particular that uh, both of us found interesting was the concept of alarm, why we take action at the threat of a negative consequence. I, I see that a lot. I think most people see that a lot in our everyday lives, but I never thought of it in terms of a activator. Talk a little bit about that, Sally. Alarm works uh, almost 180 degrees opposite of lust. Lust attracts us to something. Alarm, on the other hand, makes us respond urgently. It's almost a fear reaction. If, uh, if your boss walks into your office on a Friday and says, I need that report on Monday, 
you know, that rising immediate sense of adrenaline, ding, 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 uh-oh, I have to react here, and you immediately lock into the threat of negative consequences. When, uh, when, when, you, when, when, a, when a pharmaceutical ad talks about a potential uh, life-threatening condition like a heart attack, or when Weight Watchers says bikini season is right around the corner, it makes you focus on, on, on a very specific response because you know that if you don't, something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. We also do this with our own kids when we say, if you don't eat your vegetables, then you're not going to get dessert. So if you don't do X, then you're not going to get Y. If you don't pay your taxes, then you're not going to stay out of prison. And QVC says, you only ha- we only have 10 left. Call now or you won't be able to get one of these hangomatics. That's how alarm um, inspires us to instantly spring into action. You know, we just have a minute left. I can't let you leave without getting your uh, reaction to uh, this quick question. If a company listening in, a, a marketing director, a brand manager, whatever, is trying to decide what trigger is most valuable and useful to their particular brand or company, <laughs> how do they determine their key triggers? They should, um, they, they, well, first of all, they should read my book. Right, of course. <laughs> they should. They, they should take a look at what triggers they're currently using and decide if, if that trigger is helping them to meet their goals because each trigger has a very specific, different response. Trust is the most valuable trigger of all, and it's the hardest to earn and the easiest to lose, but the most important for long-term relationships. Here's the trigger for your business. Your competition's going to buy the book first, so go get it. Fascinate your seven triggers to persuasion and captivation. Sally, it is so wonderful to have you here. Thanks for being a part of the show today. You guys are so great. And uh, by the way, go to com. That'd be a good place to start as well. We'll be back with more here on The Advertising Show. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. This is an encore show. By the way, if you've got a suggestion for an encore show that you would like to hear once again, uh, we would be more than happy to do that for you. Just uh, check in at theadvertisingshow.com. Advertising Show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, and we will talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.